Well, hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Ryan Clayton Podcast. Thank you so much for joining. Uh, I've, this episode, I'm really, really excited to bring to you guys. It's two of my good friends, John Truelove and Majel Wells. Uh, we recorded this live on YouTube uh, November 17th. Um, and John had just finished the Moab 240, and then three weeks later, he did the Georgia Death Race. Um, so this is just like, I mean, originally he was uh, signed up and registered for the Georgia Death Race, which was supposed to happen, I believe, sometime in the summer, uh, but it got delayed due to COVID and everything. Uh, so it was ran uh, very end of October. And, uh, he was, you know, with everything getting canceled, uh, he had always told me that he was never going to do a 200 mile race, but he got convinced by Majel, who's also on this episode to sign up for the Moab 240. And it just ended up that they were like within four weeks of each other or something. Uh, and Majel ended up going out and pacing him and crewing him. She paced him for 120 miles at the Moab 240. So talk about just really, uh, loving ultra running. (laughs) Didn't even get a buckle. Didn't even get her name as like a finisher of a race. She just paced somebody for 120 miles. I, honestly can't even believe that. So, um, just huge congrats to both of these people. Uh, John, uh, he and I go way back. I, uh, paced him at Leadville a couple years ago. Uh, both of these, uh, John and Majel are from Indiana, uh, and Majel's done some incredible stuff too that we'll talk about. She's also going to do the Cruel Jewel 100, uh, coming up here in May of 2021. And I'm also signed up for that race as well. So, I've already given like too much of an intro. I just want to get into this conversation. Uh, I will say though that, uh, the audio, uh, this was recorded over like, um, video chat and, uh, the microphone that was, uh, it just, it wasn't picking up Majel for the first couple minutes. It was thinking that she was background noise because she was on the side of the computer, I believe is how it was happening. It was like canceling her out. But uh, a couple minutes into it, she moved, and uh, you can hear her a lot clearer for the rest of the episode. So bear with the audio for the first couple minutes uh, whenever she's talking. And yeah, I'm going to stop talking. We're going to get right into this episode. So thank you so much for joining, and I'll come back at the end to wrap it up. John and uh, why don't you introduce yourself first and kind of like say like kind of like how you got into running and just real quick and then we'll jump over to Majel as well uh, just so that people get a little bit of your background and kind of like how you started in ultra running um, and then uh, we'll get into it. and I see is there also a dog in the background back yeah, there? Yeah, you probably see my dog walking yeah. around behind. Awesome. <laughs> Oh, he's trying yeah, to bring you a toy. <laughs> yeah. She'll go away after a while. Uh, so, yeah, my name's John Trulove, and uh, I say I started in ultra pretty much the same way a lot of people did, and that uh, started with the half marathon, and then from the half marathon went to the uh, marathon. Uh, did, I don't know, four or five marathons, was going to try to do the uh, marathon in 50 states, and then just got into trail running and kind of gave that up. Um, and just pretty much have been running trails and uh, ultra marathons at that point. I have done a couple road ultras, hundred milers, which I do not like doing, but uh, for the <laughs> most part, most of mine are, are trail runs. Uh, 
So yeah, it's pretty much standard. Like a lot of people, it's the same story you hear from a lot of people and that they start in, you know, 5Ks, 10Ks, whatever, and then just kind of progression. Uh, same thing with me. Nice. Awesome. Majel, how about you? Yeah, pretty much the same story. I think I, my first race was a 5K and, um, like, went to half marathon, went to mar- did some marathons at the Boston. I was there during the bombing. Um, oh, wow. That progressed to some serious, like, um, reflection, and that led to trail running. I, I loved it. Um, I got way more out of it. So um, I think I've ran one marathon since since that since 2013 so mostly road or mostly trail and then ultra running about eight years ago started nice. doing um, all our races and then some hundred milers 50 milers yeah major how many hundreds have you done i know i should know this um, <laughs> <laughs> a lot um i think i know i've tried to do more than i've completed so i think maybe like seven or eight Total, uh-huh. but I think I've only finished five. I think that's uh-huh. right. Nice, awesome, and John, I know you've done a bunch too. And those of you uh, listening, John is also the current record holder for the Midwest Super Slam, which is five hundred milers in one calendar year. It's actually over like what four months or something. Yeah, um, yeah, it's like four months. Starts in June and ends in October with IT one hundred. Yeah. yeah. I see a bunch of buckles behind you. Are those all your hundred mile buckles? How many how many buckles yeah, do you think you have? Except for the top one, which is the Tahoe buckle. So yeah. 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 They're all awesome. hundred mile buckles. Awesome. Five of them are the uh, Indiana Trail one hundred, so I've done that five consecutive years. That's awesome. And you got that Moab two forty one right up there at the top. That's awesome. Yeah. I think the smallest I don't know. I know. That's what, yeah, I kind of laughed about that um, the first time I saw those buckles. Like, you would think that they would be at least two times the size because you have to run twice the distance. Um, oh, yeah. But they're pretty small. But it makes it so that you can actually wear it, and it's probably, like, comfortable. Like, some of those, like, those Burning River ones are just, like, massive. Yeah, those Burning River, you, know, you wouldn't wear those. They're just, they're just way too big. <laughs> it's like a plate. <laughs> They're almost like a, a thousand mile buckle or something. You know how they make the thousand mile buckles a lot bigger than the normal ones. But yeah, they're yeah, big. yeah, yeah. No business has one. And Major, you also did no business yeah. a couple years ago. Yeah, we were just talking about that. We, um, we did the same year. Yeah, we did. We did the same year. Nice. I didn't, I didn't complete it though. Yeah, I heard That's that the one you. You did like what, like ninety two miles? <laughs> yeah, ninety two miles. So that's it. So what made you like, I don't know if I've ever heard what made you stop that race. Um, but were you like hurt or what happened? Um, I think it was a joint effort between Jared and myself because I was running with Jared. And so we, I think talked each other into stopping. I don't know. Yeah. We definitely didn't. I mean, for a while we worked out, you know, for a while we worked off of each other to keep us going. And then at a point, it was 28 mile, 28 hours into the race, and that's kind of the furthest that we've ever ran this time wise. And then we both just talked each other into stopping. Yeah. Um, but it, was, it was really hot and brutal. That yeah. Day, and we were all, and I think from very early on, it was just a matter of you have to stay on your nutrition. Uh-huh. And Jared, I think, was slipping on his nutrition way 
too early and, and he struggled through yeah. the whole grade. He was struggling pretty early. But yeah, we just kind of talked each other into quitting. And uh, I don't know. It's one of those lessons you learn. Yeah. So what was what was it for both of you guys? What was it? Uh, what was the interest? What was uh, what got you interested in ultras and kind of like uh, the hundred mile distance specifically? Like, do you remember uh, when that happened? When you were like, "This is something that I actually want to do." <laughs> I, I remember when I did it. So um, it was uh, the Indiana Trail one hundred. Um, Bob uh, had Bob Lynch, one of our friends, had signed up for it. And uh, I asked him, or he, you know, we, him, him and I talked because we went to lunch quite a bit. And I'd, I'd offered up pacing him. And uh, I don't know, maybe a week or two went by. You know, we talked about different things about pacing him. I just went into his office one morning. And I said, hey, I'm going to pace you from the start. And uh, that's kind of started it. So then from that point on, it was a train, you know, we had the training plan for like a 20-week training plan uh, to, to do the IT100. And that just kind of led into the other stuff. Nice. He was also my first hundred miler, and Bob was my pacer, one of my pacers. So we kind of just have this like awesome group here in Terre Haute, and we're really lucky to have each other, and we're, we all eat off of each other, and just um, have this really great, um, I don't know, mojo, and we just keep each other going. We train together, and I think that just um, has been a motivator for all of us to um, run these hundred miles distances. That's okay. all of our goal. That seems to be our goal. Yeah, even on my first 100, she paced me the last lap at IT. Yeah. Nice. So totally That's different. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so then, so like, what got you? Because uh, I remember, like, John, I remember you uh, saying like a year or two ago, like uh, when I was. Uh, out at these 200 mile races um we were kind of like texting back and forth and i i remember asking you like we are you like you should do one of these dude like you would be good at these <laughs> like and then and then i remember your text you said something back like i will never do a 200 miler or something <laughs> like that so what was what uh like what made you choose to do majel was the one that made you do the moab yeah, so, there's a little story behind that so during the summer, um, with COVID and all the cancellations of the races, Bernie mm -hmm. um, was coming up, and it was like one of the 100 miles in this area that was still planning on having the races. And uh, I was training for it, and I knew I was going to sign up for it, and they still had spots open. Well, I was texting Majel saying, hey, you need to get in this. Hey, you need to get in this. And uh, so she finally, I said, you know, she said she wasn't ready to run 100 miles. I said, you're ready. You've done enough of them. So finally, she signed up for the, for the Burning River. And she ran it. We both ran it. Um, so then fast forward like a month, she gets into Moab. And so she starts texting me saying, hey, you need to sign up for Moab. I'm in Moab. And uh, so then I started looking. And it's like, okay. So I just one night I just signed up for it. So it was major that got me signed up for Moab. <laughs> and I think a payback for me getting her to sign up for Burning River. Major, can you maybe could you come a little closer to the microphone a little bit? Yeah. Some, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Basically, when I signed up for Moab, I was on the wait list. And I was like, I'm never going to get in. Like, that's not going to happen. And then when I got off the wait list, um, uh, it was right after I ran the hundred, and I thought, well, I just finished the hundred. I have a little bit more time to train, so maybe if Glenn does it with me, we can actually finish. 
Yeah. So my hope, my goal was to get Dawn to sign up so then we could just find the whole 240 together and just push each other. But I backed out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what made you back out? Oh, just mostly I was afraid that the race would get canceled because Tahoe was going to get canceled. So I just had that the feeling that it would, and um, I just couldn't financially make it, you know, for my family and stuff. Yeah. But, um, mm. but I still wanted to go really bad, so it just worked out really well that I was able to go and pay time. That's cool. That's awesome. Um, so I had like, I have like a, I think it'd be really fun to like, kind of like get you guys' perspective on the course and, um, just like what the race was like, especially in this year. Uh, cause I was just at it last year and, um, people that, uh, follow the channel have seen a couple videos, um, from Moab and it's, I mean, it's an absolutely beautiful place. Um, like the, like the first part of the course is completely different than the last part of the course. And there's, uh, big mountains in there and there's long stretches of flat sections. Um, so, uh, John, like what was your, uh, prep leading into the race? Like, did you do anything specifically different for this 240 mile race than you did than you normally do for hundreds or what, what was going through your head? No, I didn't. I didn't do anything other than starting the research on like what I needed to get as far as gear wise, equipment wise, um, mandatory gear stuff. Um, most hundred miles don't have mandatory gear. So I wasn't accustomed to that. Um, the only thing I really did do, um, which caused me problems later on, um, is that I did a couple training runs with the bladder on the back with the water. Um, and I, I just didn't, I just didn't like, like the bladder. And so I had some kind of a mindset going into the race that I didn't really want to run with a bladder. Um, I was going to use bottles and like I had five soft flask bottles that I was stuffing in all over my vest to, to get the water. Um, but that kind of hurt me later on because um, it was a hotter year. And so when you got out into the desert, um, some people were saying it was like a hundred degrees out in the, out in the desert. And it was like 85, it was like 85, 86 for a high in Moab that day. Um, so like on Friday and Saturday, both were pretty hot days. Um, so I didn't really do anything different from a hundred miler other than just the prep as far as uh, the crew, um, figuring out what I was going to need at each aid stations. Um, they had a sleep drop bag that went from sleep aid station to sleep aid station, which was different than previous years. Oh, that's good. Um, yeah. So that was, and people were bringing in and they, they actually allowed you to put like sleeping bags and pillows and blankets and I mean, some people had just big duffel bags of, of stuff that they were bringing to the, to the sleep aid station drop because that was going to move from sleep aid station. But I didn't have a lot of that because um, I had essentially two crews because my daughter went out there. Um, so I, I, had a, I had like five people in the crew. So we had two vehicles, two SUV, uh, SUV vehicles. And so there was a lot of that going around. You know, from aid station to aid station, they would swap or they would meet both of us meet, meet at the same aid station. So I was getting gear, so I didn't have a lot of drop bags. I literally had one drop bag, and it was just an emergency drop bag with, like, some clothes, some food. Um, I don't think you ever used it. And I, and I never used it, yeah, um, because I had the, the crew. So I, I did a lot of planning up front on the crew portion of it and what I was going to have in, in the vehicle at that point in time. So yeah. that's a lot different than, say, a 100-mile race. 
Yeah. And what was your like thought process going into it about um, like sleep? Like, were you going to? Uh... Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> so I think I had because I had I had done like a time chart. I think I maybe put down forty minutes total sleep. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> I know you laugh, <laughs> which is completely different than what it actually turned out to be because it was just under seven hours. I think is what total amount of sleep that I have. But mm-hmm. I was planning. 40, 40 minutes of sleep total, 40 mm. to 50 minutes. I had like one sleep break that was going to be 20 minutes and another was going to be 20 to 30 minutes. And yeah, it, it, it was nowhere near that. Everything was completely opposite of what I planned Yeah, from the get-go. So yeah. Yeah, but to, yeah. to your point, there is a lot of different in the terrain. Like when you start the race, it's pretty much mm-hmm. desert. You kind of get into the middle of the race or maybe the, maybe the first third and you hit Shea Mountain and get to the halfway point, which is, you know, you get some woods and some single track trail, and then you come back out into the desert again for, I don't even know how. 20 yeah. Miles of open road. Yeah, for, you yeah. know, 20 to 30 miles of open stuff out in the desert, and then you, you get back up into the mountains again where it completely switches again, um, you know, to trees and covered single track, and then when you pop out of the mountains, you're back to the road again, uh, back out in the desert. Um, so, yeah, there is a lot of varying terrain, and, and on um, uh, just road conditions. There was quite a bit of like running on a lot more than I expected mm-hmm. on like just flat road sections. Around. Yeah. And Majel for you, Majel. like going into it as uh, crew and pacer, uh, did you study the map or the route or the course or anything like that? Yeah, I did. Um, I beforehand and had lunch and sort of talked out um, like what we thought the time would be and the section and sort of had a, a rough plan. And then I flew in Saturday. Um, so he had already started the race. And so I was just kind of watching to see if, if it was kind of driving what we had already talked about. Um, so I could start planning our, our next sections after I got with, I already knew that I was going to be picking him up in the middle um, of the race, which was the halfway point. Um, we had already planned that, um, if possible, maybe before that, but most likely that 120 mile mark. Um, so we had talked about like him being there at a certain time, and then that time had passed, and then yeah. the second time had passed, and then the third time, <laughs> and then he needed to sleep. So what were so, these times? Like, was it like, oh, John? John's probably sitting there thinking, I'm going to make it to the 100 mile mark at about 18 hours in. Hold on, say that again. Um, you were kind of cut out for a second there, Majel. So, anyway, um, that being said, I had a initial seven hours that I could, that I had to work with. Um, so me, I wanted to. Yeah, I don't know. Sorry, Majel. I don't know why it yeah. keeps, it keeps, uh, it keeps, I think it, I think there's like a limit. I think there's like a, it's thinking that you're background noise. And so it's like cutting you out for some reason. <laughs> Where's the microphone? It's over here. It's probably off of this. Maybe we should scoot it over. We can the middle, maybe? Yeah, we'll yeah let's try that. Okay. Oh, How's much better. better. Much better. Yes. Okay. Nice. So after, after, um, my, myself and one of his crew crew members that had already been there 
we went to meet John in the middle. We had some time to really talk about like what the realistic goals would be from, from there and um, to plan a little bit more because we had a better understanding of what it was going to take John to get through each section because he had, um, you know, ran out of water in one area before I ever got to him. And he, it took him a lot of time to recover from that. Um, and so mm, yeah. we had to, we had to just switch gears and plan differently. So, but yeah, um, I think it helped that we met ahead of time and talked through it. And then I think it also helped that he had some um, setbacks in advance that we could um, then learn from and plan the rest of the race and be in such a long race. There is an opportunity to do that, to have setbacks and to readjust if you yeah. push through it like he did. So real proud, was, real proud of him for that. It was like 12 hours different from what I planned on being at Shea Mountain. So it was, it was quite a bit of a difference um, mm -hmm. in time that I, you know, that I thought I was going to be there, but um, yeah. just the whole dehydration thing early on just set me back quite a bit. So, yeah. No, I hear you. And in a race that's that long, in a race that's like four to five days, um, yeah. like a difference, it's of 12 hours. It sounds like a lot, but there's a lot of people that um, are facing things like that and where you're like, well, I thought I was going to be at this aid station five hours ago, but I'm not. And then it just keeps adding. And uh, so what do you think, what was your de dehydration thing at the beginning? Like, how do you, like, how'd that happen? Was it just because it was so hot or... Uh, so, you know, back to that whole, um, like the training early on and, and not, um, I guess training how you're going to race. And, and so when I got to the race, you had the mandatory gear that to me felt like it weighed like 15 pounds when I stuck it in my pack. Yeah. Um, and then I, then I had to, then I had to put water on top of that. Um, so I was, for some reason, I got something stuck in my head that I just didn't, want to carry a bladder with a lot of water. Um, and so I literally had uh, 2.5 liters of water. That's the max I had because I had five of those soft flask. Um, well, we came into um, base, um, base camp um, and that section was in the middle of the day. You had a four mile section where you got water only and then you had a 20 mile section which was coming into the Breaking Bad aid station. That was pretty much all during the hottest part of the day. Um, I ended up drinking the 2.5 liters pretty much 10 miles into that section. And so I'd started conserving and I pretty much was out of water with seven miles to go. Mm -hmm. um, and so then I just kind of limped along, you know, I laid down three different times in the middle, you know, in that section and finally made it to Breaking Bad. But it, it, it took a lot out of me because one, I was worried that I was, you know, getting so dehydrated. Um, and two, I didn't know how far it was to the aid station. It was a 20 mile section, which, um, that's the other thing with these 200s from, from aid station to aid station. It just seems like it takes a lifetime. Yeah. They're, they're long sections, but that one particularly, because it was, um, on the first day, it was super hot out. Um, and I, people that, I, you know, you, you talk to runners going by and they were some people telling me that they had four liters of water and they were out of water. Mm -hmm. I mean, and of course I'm laying down in the middle of the desert, you know, thinking I'm going to hit the button to say, come get me. Um, and, and, uh, you know, and everybody that's passing me, you know, they say, they, you know, they were asking me if I'm all right. I'm saying, okay, I'm all right. I'm just out of water. I need, you know, I'm dehydrated. And of course they said, yeah, I'm out of water too. Um, and then when you actually got to the breaking bad aid station, you know, that was the number one thing everybody was talking about in that aid station was yep. they were out of water. Everybody was out of water in that section because it was so hot. It was so long. Um, but anyway, 
Um, and I made it through, um, but it, it did take a lot out of me as far as, uh, and even the section before that coming into base, base station, um, for some reason, when I came out of, um, the first time I got to see the crew, uh, I had five bottles on me, but I only filled up three of my water bottles. And I thought it was a shorter section than it was. Um, and we got to, uh, Jackson's ladder where you come down and then there's like yeah. another seven seven mile stretch and it's it's complete desert i mean it's sand there's nothing out there that you see it's completely exposed you know it was the middle of the day real hot out and and in that section i also got to about three miles to go to where the aid station was and i was out of water again so i kind of had to you know limp into that aid station i literally took 30 minutes or more in that aid station uh drinking mountain dew rehydrating um i ate some uh, watermelon but it was it was a back-to-back -back thing like that i got dehydrated a little bit in that section and then the next section was you know i severely got dehydrated dehydrated in there and i and i, I seriously did think about hitting the button that I, I tell them to come get me because i you know i didn't think i could go seven miles without water in the desert but i did so. yeah I, I had like i think i had like three sips of water it got so bad at one point that uh I sat down and took all five of my bottles and combined them into one bottle. And I think I ended up with like three sips of water. And even then when I was sipping the water, I would sip the water and I couldn't swallow it. I'd have to spit it back out because I was having like a reaction to the water. getting. Oh my gosh. Out. It wouldn't let me swallow it. And people were actually talking about like when they were going to go into the aid station, they were worried about taking a lot of water that if they started puking, that the medics there would then say, Hey, you needed to get, uh, you know, an IV, and then they would be yanked off the course and stuff. But there was a lot of people in there that were hurting from dehydration during that section because it was so hot yeah. out that day. So was that the first time you'd ever been that dehydrated? Like, have you ever been that bad yeah, before? No, I've never been that bad before. Yeah. Not, not like that. Yeah. I, I was serious. Like I said, I laid down three different times, and I and, and, and one there was a couple reasons I laid down. One was because I just wanted to make sure – I wasn't overexerting myself so that I was going to use more water, you know, just I wasn't going to consume more water, but I was also just trying to take it easy and kind of get to the next aid station. But I did, I did think about hitting the button. Um, but one time I, you know, I laid down and I thought about hitting the button and I'm looking up and, you know, it's nighttime, um, early, early night, like, I don't know, 10 o'clock or something. And I'm looking up in the sky and I'm like, yeah, I bet you Majel's flying over above me right now. <laughs> and if I hit this button, she's going to come here and not be able to pace me. <laughs> yeah, she'll be mad. Yeah, she'd be mad, yes. Yeah. Uh, I made it. There, were, there were actually were quite a few people on that aid station that was just, I mean, there was people spread out all over the place that was just trying to recover from, you know, from that section. Yeah. yeah. So what do you do to try to recover? Like how long does that take for your body to bounce back after you've been that dehydrated? I think I sat there for again, maybe 30 minutes and I was just, um, so I wasn't eating much during that section. Uh, actually for the first, probably first 70 some odd miles, I, I don't think I ate very much at all. I had uh, maybe five watermelon slices and maybe a bite or two of a quesadilla or something. Um, but I was drinking a lots of Mountain Dew. So that's what I kept asking. I said, give me Mountain Dew, give me Mountain Dew. Um, and so I drank a lot of Mountain Dews. And I had the five bottles that I filled up with that section uh, at, at Breaking Bad Aid Station. And then I went out. But I knew the next section was only seven miles. So it was seven miles to a water drop and then seven miles until I got to the uh, uh, Indian Creek Aid Station where you'd actually see crew. So I knew that it even if I drank a bunch of water during that seven mile section, I was going to get to refill up again with the five bottles again, if I needed to. 
and I didn't. Um, I had drank enough and, and rested enough at the aid station um, that I was um, able to carry on. And it wasn't when I came out of the Breaking Bad aid station. It was a downhill, and I walked for quite a bit of it. But then I started running, and I got to the point that I thought, well, I better take a, a one of the jails that I had. Um, and I took a jail, and it was one of those things like you did. You mentioned where you put it in, and everything came out. Um, yeah. And it was it was all the water and liquid that I I mean I just had taken in too way too much uh, liquids at the Breaking Bad aid station, um, mm-hmm. and, and you know, I, I got rid of it, and then I just started drinking back to normal again. Mm-hmm. Um, it was also it was also nighttime, um, so uh, it was it was already cooling down. But even at that point at night, um, I think it was in the maybe in the fifties at night, and I was in a tank top. And then at one point I got so high I took the tank top off and I was running shirtless. And we came, I came into that one aid station that was halfway between and whatever water I had in my bottles, I just literally dumped on me, you know, just started pouring water on top of me, trying to cool me off. Um, and then, uh, so that, a lot of that stuff helped. And you know, a lot of us, you know, some of the dehydration too was that I had gotten so hot during the day that my body wasn't processing water. Um, and my belly was just filling up with, you know, liquids, the mountain dews and the waters. And so when it cooled down, I started processing stuff a lot better at that point. Yeah. And you'd mentioned uh, a couple times the twenty mile sections, and I think that's a, I think that's a really uh, major part of these two hundred mile races is just how far away the aid stations are. And a lot of people, uh, like if you've done a road marathon or something, your aid stations might be like a mile apart. And a lot of hundred milers, like a seven to nine mile section, is a long section. Um, but like, I want to hear both of you guys' perspective as a runner and as a pacer. Like, just what is it like uh, to really have 20 miles? Because especially in a 200-mile, you're not going fast. Like, you're, like, it's hours and hours in between. So, like, how do you, um, like, like for, like, Majel, how did you keep things interesting as a pacer? And because you're, <laughs> like, a lot, like, you're a lot fresher than John was. Um, but right. then also for John, like, how did you manage nutrition? Like, um, like. Was it like, did you go through a lot of like low spots, like in these super long sections that might have taken like eight or nine hours? Go ahead. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking what you got. The, uh, definitely in the first part of the race, it was hard to get to some of these longer sections of the from aid station to aid station because you didn't have anybody that was with you. Um, early on, I think it was. Um, Coming into the island aid station, I had met, uh, hooked up with one guy that we were running with and then going from um, Bridger Jack up Shea Mountain. I had hooked up with a couple guys and we were running together. That definitely helps like kind of break up the, uh, you know, the distance from aid station to aid station because you're talking. You're not really thinking about, you know, necessarily how far you got to go early on when I was by myself. It was it was definitely hard during that 20 mile section, like going into Breaking Bad because I literally was looking at my watch going, oh, yeah, I've got 10 miles to go. I've got, you know, 9.7 miles to go. And it just was you just kept looking where when you got a hold, you know, when you were uh, running with somebody, then I, that kind of took your mind off of it a little bit. And definitely when I joined up with Majel, it, I just, you know, the sections seemed to go much faster and I wasn't worried about it as much. Um, just because we were talking, um, talking about the stuff that we saw, um, just just talking in general and it just kind of took your mind off the, you know, the distance that you were going. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not hard. Like for John, John and I, we've ran so much together. We know each other. Um, 
I know I'm much better now. <laughs> um, but it was easy to just like get into a conversation and talk about whatever um, and, and get your mind off of it. But it was also um, just being out there and experiencing it together and being able to talk about the scene, scenery, the landscape, um, the trail conditions, the difference that he and I both have ha had experience with now because neither of us had ever ran anything like that before. Um, just kept it really exciting because we were seeing it through each other's eyes sort of um, as we went through. Um, and then just for me, just as a pacer and like you said being more fresh um reminding him to you know drink and eat those were my tasks those were my duties so that kept um me able to keep him occupied and busy um just doing you know normal stuff and making sure that he was staying uh you know up on his nutrition and his and his hydration because it didn't get any warmer the other the next days like it was very hot um before i got there but it was also hot the other days too we, and we had, um, we both had music that we had with us. Um, and mm -hmm. I think we, there was one section that was a good running section and we had pulled out our headphones and just, I don't know, maybe 30 minutes, an hour, I think. Yeah. We ran with some music listening, but other than that, we didn't, we didn't put headphones on. We were talking to each other the whole time. And, and, uh, um, so when I mean, we did have headphones and music we could have put on, but we, the only reason why we did it during that section is because it was the downhill section that was, it was that 22 mile section that was just all downhill. And so we just got in a good running rhythm at that point. So you weren't really going to talk. So we just put music on. But other than that, we were talking, um, taking pictures. I'd give her the GoPro. And GoPro, that was fun. Yeah. 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 How much did you use that GoPro? Is there going to be some footage we're going to see soon? Well, there was, there was some footage already on the Facebook yeah. stuff that I posted. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I saw some of that. Yeah. There was a lot there was of well, they didn't people. make it. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, so, Majel, we have uh, something in common. Uh, we have both paced this guy over here, John, uh, at different races. Uh, and there's, there were some moments where, uh, you know, like the, as a pacer, you're trying to get your runner to do something and they just won't do it. So do you have any like funny stories or anything, uh, maybe something that would really embarrass John uh, to share? <laughs> All right. Um, so I thought for sure going into this that John was going to be stubborn and hard-headed and I wasn't going to be able to get him to do the things I wanted him to do. But to be honest with you, he listened to everything I told him to do. And I don't know if it's because wow. my him, he was had already been through such, um, you know, such hell. Yeah. Willing to listen. But I do have funny stuff because we had some major hallucinations. <laughs> and it wasn't just John being out there after 200 miles. I had hallucinations after 100. That was the farthest I had ever ran. And we got into this section. Um, now I'm fast forwarding to the end. But That's fine. There, was, there was hallucinations before that. But at the very end, we started seeing the same hallucinations and it got really weird. What? Really weird. <laughs> yeah. So, but um, it does it does play with your mental capacity and being out there. We were on four day, the fourth day. I think we were on two days together. And just being on like two nights in a row, I think we were going into our third night in a row with no sleep. Well, barely any. Um, 
you know, it's just interesting what your mind is telling you you're looking at. So there was yeah. some funny, yeah. funny things to look back on for sure. Yeah. Cause I saw the hallucination first and what I was seeing, I didn't believe what I was seeing. I said, major, I said, I'm looking at this rock here and there's this hallucination going on. And I said, what do you see on this rock? And she told me, and I'm like, oh my God, she's seeing the same thing I am. So what were you guys seeing? <laughs> oh, we can't say. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what were some of the other hallucinations that uh, you guys were having? She at one point said uh, the, the rocks that she was running past looked like bags, bags of, of flour. flour. It was like I was at the oh. grocery store and I just kept seeing like bags of flour <laughs> and sugar. And I was like, is that flour or is it sugar? Like, why am I at the grocery store? But there oh was this gosh. one interesting one we saw during the daytime in a canyon. Um, actually, I think um, John saw it first. He was like, do you see that Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle over there? <laughs> and it was like just this shadow on, on the canyon. I think, I think I talked her into that. Yeah, and I was like, um, I think I'm seeing it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I really did. I saw a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle on the side of the rock, and it was just huge. Um, and she's like, yeah, I see it too. And I'm like, yeah, it was weird. <laughs> I did. And I did later on. She said, oh, that looks like a bag of flour. And later on, I started seeing them too. I never said anything to her because we'd already experienced a couple of hallucinations together. It's like, I, I don't want to tell her that I'm seeing yeah, really creepy. Yeah, I don't want to tell her I'm seeing bags of flour on the ground too. But I, I was seeing them. So it, and the hallucinations are real. You don't think you're going to, because I, I heard everybody talk about the hallucinations. I'm like, eh, I'm not going to get hallucinations. Yeah, you absolutely get hallucinations mm -hmm. when you don't sleep that long. You literally have you had them. Have you ever had them during hundreds? Maybe once oh or twice, but then it was it was just real brief, and it was more like um, you see a shadow or you see some trees do some movement, and you're like, "Oh, yeah. that looks like something," and then it would pass. But this, they, these were hallucinations that when you stared at them for like a minute, you're like, "They're not going away. No. They're just there. They're not." And I, I can't believe I'm seeing that. You know. And uh, so, yeah, they, they were real, the hallucinations. So I yeah. wasn't, I was not expecting that because I thought for sure, you know, just like getting some of the sleep that I did, um, that I wouldn't have those hallucinations, but I, I did. And I, I experienced other ones as well, too. Even before Majel, I, I, I joined up with Majel coming down out of Shea, uh, Shea Mountain on the, on the road section. Um, there were a lot of uh, trees that were hanging over the road. This is around Halloween time, you know, coming up. And I kept seeing, like, uh, they looked like Halloween decorations, like the witches on, like, the brooms that were sticking over the road. Yeah. It looked like one of the tin cutout things. I saw some pumpkins, um, like, hanging off the side of the trees. I thought they were decorations because we were running down the road and there were houses. I thought somebody had decorated, you know, along the edge of the road. And as I got closer to them, I was like, oh, those are branches of trees <laughs> hanging over the road. And so, you know, it's like, oh. I saw pumpkins and witches and, you know, on, on the decorations. <laughs> they weren't there. So. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> those are mild ones, though. So those are the ones you can, like, oh, I laugh them off and kind of keep going, right? But that one that we stopped to look at the rock was a little bit. Yeah. So, yeah. But it was, like, at the very end. I think it we was. were maybe, I don't know, five or six miles from the finish line. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So. Yeah. I, I've never had any during – hundreds except for the first one i ever did grindstone and that was because that was like on the second night i started having them but that was because i'd been up for like 46 hours or something like that right. and so when did they start for you guys on the second night or the third night or when did they start mine started on the second night and then i had them from that point on at different times 
Um, yeah. Yeah. Second night for sure. Yeah. Uh, so, and then I wanted to ask you, Major, uh, you, you mentioned that this was the furthest you'd ever run and, uh, being a pacer, like what were you, were you concerned about that? Like, were you concerned about starting and trying to go? Cause how far did you actually go? Like 140? Or, um, 120? Yeah, 120. 120. So did you take a break, uh, at all? Or did you no, just start I, and go to the end? And I was going to, that was part of the plan to maybe sleep so I could be more alert for John. Um, but the way it worked out, I just ran the whole 120 without, um, I, I actually, he ended up taking a nap. So I napped when he napped. Um, and that, that worked out really well for us, but it is interesting because that is the longest I had ran and I felt it. Like I, I knew when I got to that point that this was my hundred mile mark because I literally looked at John and I was like, I'm pretty sure you're going to have to do that last section by yourself. Like I, I'm, I'm going to hold you back. Like I'm done. Like I know me, I, I don't know if it was a mental, um, mental like block saying, okay, you've gotten to a hundred, but we had this 22 mile section when I hit a hundred and I kept looking at John going, we have only three miles to go. And he's like, no, no we was, really have like eight. It was a little different. Than that. <laughs> <laughs> she was in front of me and she was, she was getting to a low point. I could tell she was getting low because she was walking in front of me and she was doing this. It was a road. I mean, it was, yeah. You know, and she's doing this down the middle of the road. And I'm like, uh Oh, she's, she's a low, you know? And so she yells out, I was like, how far is it to the next aid station? And I said, it's seven miles. She said, no, it's three. <laughs> and I just, I didn't laugh out loud, but I was just laughing so hard internally because she said, no, it's three. I'm like, all right, it's three then, but, you know, and I knew exactly how far it was because my watch was like spot on on the aid station for how the distance from aid station to aid station. Later on, she asked me like a five miles ago, how far is it? I'm like, well, it's five, but I'm going to tell you three. <laughs> yeah. So basically, John, my pacer at that point, like we just—he basically became my pacer, and I was like losing it. But then I got it back, thank God. Yeah, because that, that last section was pretty rough. Yes. For I'm during so, that section, I made her eat a. She told her to eat a gel, and she ate a gel and popped out of it. And yeah. I said, why do you, why do you think it's got to be three miles? She's like, if if I'm three miles from an aid station, I know I can make it. I just got to get the three miles and I know I can make it. I'm like, yeah. nice. okay, seven. <laughs> nice. Make it to the next Keep saying it. So yeah, That's it was awesome. interesting to get past that longest point yeah. and then to see how I was able to um, handle it and then, you know, be responsible for getting him to the, or helping him to, you know, to his goal at the same time. So we both learned, learned from that. Yeah. And she didn't slow during that section she was actually going faster because she wanted to get to the aid station so fast <laughs> i had to tell her to slow down because she was like power walking so fast i couldn't keep up with her um she just wanted to that was her main goal was to get to the aid station so you want to hear a really funny story about john yeah of course <laughs> okay so we're at the we're okay so talking about walking we are at the very last section and I, i'm like it is so rocky. Like I, I wish I could have seen it during the day because they say it's the most beautiful section, but we were there at night. Um, this is Tuesday morning, early Tuesday morning. It's really cold. Um, John's got blisters. We've already addressed that a couple times at aid stations. They fixed them up. We took time, you know, managing. We haven't even talked about that part. We forgot. We didn't talk about the blisters. But he had. We'll these get there. Blisters. I was going to ask about that. Um, so what section is this? Major, 
porcupine rib. To okay, the yeah. Mm-hmm. So John is having the most horrible time, and there's all these little bitty like pebbles everywhere. And every time he touches one, every time it hits his foot where that blister is, it, it's like so painful for him. And then all of the other sections are sl- like slate, rock, um, just rock everywhere. And so he's like in so much pain and he's just like trudging through it. And we stopped a lot. We stopped, took breaks. We sat down, we rested. I mean, just constant stopping. We're going so slow. And I'm like, this is going to take forever. Right. Well, this guy comes running by us with a headlamp, like, I don't know, this waist lamp and he's lost and he's looking at us and we're like, how, you know, where did you come from? And first of all, (laughs) Second of all, how could you be lo- like, so he's like looking to us for guidance on he's, he's lost, but he's like, he looks like he's in pretty good shape in my opinion. And he starts making this climb up to the ridge, right? All of a sudden, John's running, John's running eight minute miles. <laughs> and I am deathly afraid of heights, but I didn't know that we were on the ridge and that we were running on a ridge. I'm just following John's footsteps. And at this point he is going so fast and it, it was probably really like 11 minute miles, but to me it felt like 11 minute miles. And he just takes off like a bat out of hell. And I'm like, what? where did this energy come from? How do your, your feet all of a sudden aren't hurting? So um, it I just- wasn't, I wasn't gonna let anybody pass me. Nobody passed me in that last 40 miles. I wasn't, gonna, I wasn't gonna let anybody else pass me. So that's where I came from. Yeah, and the guy ended up being lost on the other side of the ridge and yelling at us across I don't know how he got on the other side of the ridge. He He did not pass John. John finished ahead of him. But it was just amazing. I was like, this guy just ran 230 something miles and he's running. And he was going so fast. It was pretty awesome. So I was worried about it because I knew she wasn't. So he looks back at me because he knows I'm afraid of heights. And I didn't realize that we were running like on the death edge. Like if I would have known, I would have not have been going that. There's just no way. So he looks back at me at one point and he's like, are you following my footsteps? And I'm like, yeah, why? Like, that's what we do when we run, right? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I got, I'm, I'm following. And then I'm like, why is he asking me that? And I look to the right and I'm like, oh my God, that's why. Because we're on a ridge. And I was like, John, I can't, I can't. Like I stopped. I was like, I can't anymore. I'm going to throw up. And he's like, all right. He's like, it's okay. Yeah. She's like, go on, go on if you're running. I'm like, no, no. It's like, go. Yeah. And that actually, that was um, probably one of my favorite sections um, because it was really pretty. But um, yeah, just, I don't know where you got the energy from, but don't pass it on at the end of a 200 mile race, apparently. That's awesome. Um, So you kind of mentioned we had a question uh, from Ultra Dead. did you get lost at all or any wrong turns? You mentioned that someone else was lost. Uh, did you guys ever get lost? And then also, I got, go ahead. I got lost early in the race. So um, the first section, I think, was like nine miles, and you come into an aid station. And then as soon as you come into that aid station, you start climbing up on top to get up on top of the, the, the ridge up there. And I, I got locked in with like three other guys, so there was four of us running. Um, and I and I just was in a just in a routine of following what they were doing, and we got to got up on top, and a, you were supposed to go off to the left down a valley, and they went up top, and I just followed them, and so we ended up climbing for like a quarter of a mile up the mountain, and then didn't see any uh, 
flags. And so then we had to turn around and come back down. But I think once we, we didn't get lost, there was one section that we like, we went up and we went maybe what? 150 feet. It wasn't really getting long. Yeah. We, we got turned around a, a little bit in the Canyon, but I got my, um, the GPS out, the, the Gaia the map, app, the Gaia app yeah. and we found it pretty quickly. And at really nighttime well. and going that Porcupine Ridge at nighttime, there were some sections you just couldn't see where you were supposed to go. And, mm -hmm. you know, you, you'd look and say you were going to, you know, you're supposed to go that direction, but it didn't really like you could go that direction, but the path was like, you know, that wide going around some rocks and stuff. Um, so we, we didn't really get lost. I mean, it was, we went up when we should have went down. And once we got up on top, it was like, you know, we realized we went the wrong direction. But for the most part, the course is very well marked. Um, and if you had that app, you can pretty much, you know, without certain, you know, find your path and stuff. So, yeah, I agree that that app Gaia, like if you can, you download the GPS track and, uh, I mean, you put your phone in airplane mode and it'll last forever. And, I mean, that was awesome. Like I used that a ton, um, whenever I was out there at those races. Um, so we used it, we used it up in the mountain once cause there was a section up there that wasn't yeah. really marked that well. I think there was some, I think it was marked, but there, I think that they were removed or something. Oh, they got knocked down, down because, something, you know. yeah, it was pretty tricky actually. If we wouldn't have had the guy app at that point, we might've been, we might've lost some time trying to figure it out. And then in the porcupine rib, we, uh, we used it there. But other than that, we didn't, the course was marked. It was marked really well. I mean, for 240 miles, yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So we have a question from Motivational Theory Running. How much different is the pacing strategy for 240 versus 100? For like, for John to pace himself or for the pacer? Oh. Um, I think we're talking about like, um, minutes per mile sort of thing. John, I know you go out like just guns blazing and run your <laughs> first. I, I did. Like I did. Hours. I ran hard. At the, I ran hard at the start of the race. So I got dehydrated and I just slowed down at that point Yeah. Um, I didn't, I don't know that after that section, um, after like say the first 72 miles and I got to the uh, Indian Creek aid station, I don't know that I really thought about pace. Um, mm -hmm. I knew you know, I had a lot of time left, um, and it was just more, it wasn't really more about pace. It was more about, um, definitely during the daytime, it was about trying to stay cool. Um, there was a section from the Island to Bridger Jack that I think was like 18 miles. And I just did a lot of walking during that section because it was the middle of the day. Um, and there were times that I just found some tree that was big enough for me to lay underneath of it to find shade just to cool down a little bit. So it was more about trying to stay cool and, and uh, not necessarily a pace at that point in time. Later on in the race, I think we started maybe concerned more about picking up our pace when we got some of the downhill sections and good running. Um, you know, when we got to the road sections uh, where you could actually run. But uh, yeah, so the, in a hundred miler, it's all about pace, right? You're all, if you're trying to, you know, get sub 24 or sub 20 or whatever, it's all about pace. Um, and the 240, I, after the first 72 miles, I really wasn't concerned with pace. It was more about just surviving the sections from aid station to aid station and, you know, seeing what was going to come up next. Yeah. Did you worry too much? Uh, and major for you too, like is, is your crewing and pacing him? Uh, did you worry too much about like uh, sleep after a certain point or were you just 
saying, hey, I'm going to sleep until I wake up? Or was it wake me up in 60 minutes? How did sleep work once you started sleeping? <laughs> uh, so the first time I came in, the, I think, well, I, Indian Creek I slept was the first time. So that's 72 miles into the race. And I think I slept for two hours. And it was... I slept for an hour. I woke up. I was like, oh, I need another hour of sleep. And I went back to sleep for another hour. And then I met up with you at uh, Shea, on top of Shea Mountain. I think it was the same thing. I slept for two hours there. there. And it was the same thing. I woke up or kind of woke up at about an hour and said, oh, I need some more sleep. So I went back to sleep again. Um, And then the last time I slept uh, was at uh, Pole Canyon, I think. Yeah. And, uh, that one, I actually slept three hours, and it was, I slept an hour, got up and said, I need some more sleep. I slept another hour, and I, I got back up and said, I, I need another hour of sleep, so I slept, and I got up again, and I was going to go back to sleep again, and then Majel started yelling. She might not have been yelling, <laughs> but it sure seemed like she was yelling. She's like, get up, get up, get up, we got to go, we got to go, and so yeah. I got up, and and I was ready to go back to sleep again for another hour or two. So uh-huh. um, that's kind of how the sleep, I, you know, I don't know that I, it was kind of just an hour at a time um, that I was doing the sleep. Yeah. So yeah. at Pole Canyon, and that's where we needed to address his feet. Um, and before, so that's where I kind of made a mistake. I wish that we would have done that first and then let him sleep. So his feet would have been resting um, after a medic had had, took some attention to him, but he was so tired and it took so much out of him to get up that mountain. And he just really needed to sleep and the car was warm. We had pizza. His daughter had gotten pizza. Was that the time we got pizza? Uh, I think that was the station. The station before. So we, so I was just like, just go to sleep, just get some rest. And I like try to prop his feet up. We were doing all this weird stuff, but, um, so the, after the third hour, I just knew, I knew that I had to get him up and then we had to get moving. So we went to the medic tent, they fixed his feet. And um, I think we may, maybe took another 20 minutes there um, to get all fixed up. And she was like, you're good. She, she said, it's not, not going to be that bad. You're, you're good, good to go. And um, so I think the three hours was, was good. And what was going on with your feet? Was it just blisters or was it other things going on too? No, it was just a blister on the left foot that got, it was, it got pretty big. It was big. Um, it, I think I still have it by the way. There's <laughs> 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 still a hole in my foot. Because <laughs> he ran GDR also like a uh, month yeah. later, not even a month. Yeah. After, after Paul Canyon, I don't, I didn't sleep again. No. Yeah. No. And so that was, I mean, I think I went 20, almost 24 hours after Paul Canyon without sleep again. So. Wow. And what was it like? Because uh, Moab, the thing that, one of the things that surprised me a lot uh, was that since it's later in the year, the weather and uh, the environment difference, like mainly the temperature, uh, things like that, swings. So, like, this, the swings are so big. Like, you can, like, you were talking about running in the desert during the day and then at night, like, when, Last year, when I was there, it got down in the 20s at night. And I was, like, waking up in the Jeep, sleeping, like, with numb feet uh, because it was so cold. And, like, how, like, did it get, I'm sure it got that cold this year for you guys, too. But, like, how did you manage that 
with clothes well, or with so pace or with whatever. It didn't get so it was warmer years. So most of the like mm. the first two nights it didn't get that low. I mean, it, like it was down in the fifties was the lowest that it got. And oh. The only time, yeah, and even on uh, the for me climbing up Shea Mountain uh, probably would have been one of the cooler sections at nighttime because I was up high. Um, the wind was blowing. I still was in a tank top, um, and I was still sweating so bad going up Shea Mountain. Um, so, wow. I mean, it was still pretty warm, even at nighttime, like at 11 o'clock, you know, or 10 o'clock at night, you know, going up Shea Mountain with the wind blowing, it was still pretty warm. It wasn't until, um, after Majel and I started climbing up, uh, to Pole Canyon, um, that it did get cold up there. Cause it was, there was no trees up there. No it was coverage. no coverage. It was real windy up there, but even then it probably was maybe a high thirties or something, maybe. Um, so I don't, maybe it might've been down in the twenties. Yeah, I think, I think it was more low twenties. It could have been. Um, but, but there it was wasn't only, double, it wasn't like it was yeah. the year before where right. it got down to single digits and there was snow on the ground. And it was just one <laughs> section. Of, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. and, and actually when we got back into Pole Canyon uh, aid station, from that point on, it was all, it was pretty much warm up after that point. We, we'd mm -hmm. put so many clothes on. Yeah. We had put so many clothes on at Pole Canyon when we came out and got in, started going from Pole Canyon to Geyser Pass. It was ten minutes into the, you know, into the section that we were stopping and taking all kinds of clothes off and packing, oh, them, yeah, in our packing them in our pack. Yeah. Because yeah. we just put clothes on. Yeah. So did you just have uh like did you just have uh all those clothes like in your moving vehicles and everything and you could just like put on what you needed uh, at different times and yeah, yeah, there was, uh, yeah, there was, uh, my daughter and, uh, her boyfriend and my son, they met us at uh, pole Canyon and they had our, all everything in the, in the Jeep with them. So I mean, it had all the nutrition, you know, any kind of stuff that we need, it was all on the multiple, you know, different types of clothes, jackets, um, just everything was in the Jeep at that point in time. So yeah, we picked, picked up some stuff at that gloves, hats, et cetera. That was only, nice. the, the only really section. And, and to be honest, we'd already went through the coldest part of, we didn't need half of what we had no probably not but we thought we did yeah because we were so cold in that section so we did we wanted to be prepared but one thing i would say is that um that was probably what the make or break of the race was john having all of that stuff and having a vehicle to sleep in and and even two vehicles that was really smart and it really um like served us both well to have a place to go and rest um you know both separately and then also to have all of that extra gear um, at our fingertips every time that we had available sections where our crew could get to us. That was really an important part of the race strategy. Yeah, we had, we had a good crew. I mean, Emily, Emily, my daughter, her boyfriend, my son, and the major was there. Um, and they kind of rotated off aid stations at different times so that, that, you know, they weren't just exhausted going from one aid station to the next. But we had two vehicles. Uh, the main purpose, I guess, one of the main purposes for the, the two vehicles was my daughter had to leave early on Monday, so um, she had to have a, a vehicle so that she could drive back to Salt Lake City to fly out. Uh, but it actually worked out real well having two vehicles so that they could rotate in and out. Yeah. yeah. No. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, how many different pairs of shoes did you wear? I had three pairs of shoes, and speaking of shoes, <laughs> I had the <laughs> I had the Olympus, the 4.0s. Uh -huh. Yeah, that, that, was, that was not the right shoes to be wearing during that. Not race. the right shoes? 
Now, but that's that, like your go-to shoe, isn't it? Yeah, but so they changed then the 4.0s. They put that mesh on top. And I had gaiters on. And even with the gaiters on, I could not keep the sand out of my mm. shoes. The entire race, I had sand in my shoes. Every time I stopped and like would take my socks off, I'd have to shake them out. I mean, there was just so much sand in my shoes from yeah. uh, the mesh getting in there that at one point I just, I took the gaiters off because they were just more, they weren't really helping at all. Um, part of the time that I thought I had a blister on my right foot, it wasn't a blister. It was just sand gathered up under my, under my foot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that mesh just allowed everything to come in into the, yeah. you know, from the top of the shoe and then kind of around the sides of the shoe. But um, I mean, I, I don't have any other shoe that I run in. So, I mean, I, I that's, mm. that's the one shoe that I run in for road, for trail, whatever I'm running. And I just run in one shoe and that's it. So, um, but I did have three pairs of shoes. I had just purchased a brand new pair before I went out there so that I would have an extra pair to, to run in. Did you go through all three all of them? Pair, I, I did use all three pairs. I kind of spaced it out to be like, you know, that 80 mile mark that I was switching shoes out. So nice. I also had the Olympus 4.0 going into the race and I lost one. So if anyone out there finds an Olympus, Women size eight, brand new shoe. I will literally like be your best friend. Tell me it was at an aid station that you lost it and not like in between aid stations, like while you're running. Yeah, I think it was at the, uh... I think it was when I was like, I, I, I don't remember. I forget the name of the Dry Valley was it Yeah, because I, I changed Valley. my shoes outside of the car and I think I just, somehow managed to yep. only get one shoe into the vehicle because um like he said they were not the best shoe to wear out there i mm -hmm. um i'm a, i'm a hoka girl i love my hokas mm -hmm. um, and the, those served me really well out there the hoka that, that's one nice. thing i would have done is that i would probably pack more socks just you know trying to do every 30 to 40 mm -hmm. miles um because the sand really did get in your shoes um i don't know if other people had problems with them i had problems with it because i had I had blisters on my, I had a blister on my left foot, but then I also had, I felt like a blister on my right, but it was just a lot of sand in there and it just made it uncomfortable to run at times. Yeah. Um, what type of other gear did you find came in handy? Uh, and then have a question from Seatown fan that says, what's something you didn't carry that you wish you had? I definitely started with a bladder. Yes. Um, absolutely. Um, if not, the, the problem with the, the way the race is, is that you, you come into 18 miles into the race and you get to see your crew, but then you don't get to see your crew again for another 55 miles. So yeah. you have to make sure that when you see your crew at that 18 mile mark, that you get everything that you think you're going to need for the next 55 miles. Um, it was also some pretty good running up to that section. So you may not have necessarily, I mean, I wasn't definitely thinking about what I needed for the next 55 miles because I was in a good pace at that point in time. Um, so definitely a bladder. I definitely would have carried a bladder, even if you didn't fill it up. I mean, it could have just been empty in the back. Um, that would have been something I definitely would have carried um, over that. And then the second thing would have been, I probably would have liked, I didn't have a waist light but i think i would have liked to carry a, a waist light instead of a head you know the headlight so mm -hmm. yeah did you guys both use poles or um yeah both yes. did. Some. yeah 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 some we didn't at the the last section we didn't carry poles we didn't carry poles for 
some sections. Yeah, I, I during even during the race, I I grabbed poles um, like to go up Shane Mountain. When I got to the top of Shane Mountain, where I met up with her, I put the poles away, and then it was uh, 46, eight station 46, where we knew we were going to climb yeah, back up. We grabbed them. We grabbed our poles in. So we went through like you know, the the uh, wind whistler, I think is the name of it, in Dry Valley. The the 26 miles that's out on the road section out in the desert. We didn't have poles out there. We just, you know, power yeah. hike, ran it, whatever we did. And then yeah. we picked up our poles right before we were going to go up the mountain. And then, like yeah. she said, the last 40 miles, I think. We didn't we didn't carry poles that whole yeah. last section. Yeah, we didn't carry poles that whole last section. The section before that, we didn't. No, because we put them up at, with when we saw your daughter. Right. Yeah. It was Pole Canyon. Yeah. So, yeah, the last 40 miles, we didn't carry poles and stuff. I don't think we really needed them. No, not really. Um, now, definitely up the mountain, it was yeah. nice, especially at night. Um, I, I would actually have carried them at that last section if I would have known how sketchy it was, just for my own, oh, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. purpose not for climbing necessarily, just but for navigating um, on a you know narrow trail. But yeah. it's not not really needed for climbing that much in that race. Not a lot of climbing. I mean, it is a lot of climbing in some sections, but for sure, sure you didn't get Shea Mountain. You definitely didn't yeah. I wasn't. I didn't go through two of the big climbs, so I really can't What was the total vertical gain in the race? Do you remember? It was, like, it was over twenty nine thousand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is just a little more than GDR. So. Yeah. <laughs> Right. Yeah, 66. 66. Yeah. So speaking of, uh, I mean, I don't. I kind of want to like wrap up Moab and then move into GDR. Um, but like, at, like after finishing, um, as you look back on it, like, is it is it like a a good memory that you did this race, or are you like, do you? Uh, no, are you... it's absolutely a good memory. I mean, it's yeah. so good that I I'm in the lottery for Tahoe. So yeah, we'll see. We'll see if I get on the wait list for Tahoe. So someone else actually made it in, right? Yeah, she yeah. did. <laughs> <laughs> so did you sign up for did you sign up for that after pacing or like when was the lottery for Tahoe? Like was that so afterwards? Was, yeah, it was after. I think it started it started in October, end of October, and then um, the last day to enter was November fourth, and then they drew on the tenth. The lottery's nice. on the tenth. And speaking of which, on November 4th, I'm getting text messages from her. Saying, hey, the lottery ends today. Hey, the lottery sign up ends today. She said, so I signed up. Yeah. She's like, hey, you didn't make things sign up for the lottery, did you? Um, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely contagious. It's, it's, if you like adventure, if you do 100 milers, you already like adventure racing. You already want to push yourself to the limits. You're already that type of personality. So this just gives you, um, you know, that extra challenge. And yeah, it does sound like, especially if you like to race fast, like John likes to race fast and I do too. Um, a hundred mile is more manageable for something like that. And if you really enjoy to, to push your limits and also come out with a, a very fast race, a hundred mile is both, can be both. It can be, um, you know, that long distance, but also you can do it fast if you um, learn how to run that distance. Um, you know, if you know, if you know yourself, but that 200 mile is just, it's just so far out there. There's just, it's just, 
so there's so much other, there's so many other things, um, parts and components of it that makes it more mysterious and intriguing. And so I definitely have to try it. Yeah. And I mean, you got into a good one, uh, like Tahoe, like I, like that was, I mean, that was just a, I mean, it's a spectacular race too. Like, um, it was definitely the, I will say it was the easiest to get around. Like, so if you have a crew, like it's, it's pretty much a breeze to crew Tahoe, uh, Bigfoot was an absolute nightmare. Uh, Moab was, there were some pretty tough parts to get to, but most of it was, a lot of Moab was drivable, but Tahoe is like, I mean, you can just zip around there and it wasn't too bad. So that's good. Have you ever been out there? My daughter just moved to Reno. I was just out there last week moving her. That's right. Um, yeah. 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 I saw that on your, yeah. 40 minutes drive and we went to Lake Tahoe while we were there. And, um, actually I was, I was in Tahoe when I got the, when I, when they drew my name in lottery. So pretty exciting. And we went into the the mountains and drove around Lake Tahoe that day. So nice. Yeah. Yeah. I got a free place to stay. So we're (laughs) nice. That's awesome. That's so cool. Well, I'm excited for you. Mary's in, Mary Walker's in as well. So Major and Mary both are in Tahoe. Yeah, Mary's done Tahoe before, and she's done Moab, and now she's going to do Tahoe again. Nice. So hopefully I'll get in on the way. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be awesome. And then, uh, so you were also signed up for GDR, and that was supposed to happen a lot earlier in the year, and it got pushed back. So you decided to just do it anyway, like what, two weeks after Moab or something? Three weeks? It was, it was four weeks after. Four weeks after? How was that race? Um, that one's a brutal race. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought I was recovered a lot more than I was, so that had a, a big play into how my GDR race went. But, I mean, my blister hadn't healed. I mean, it, it was a pretty deep blister. I mean, it was, I don't know, two or three layers deep of skin that was removed. Um, um, so it, it, did, it's gonna take, it took a while for it. It's going to take a while for it to heal. Um, but yeah, GDR was, um, for me, when I do some of these races that I try to go out a little bit harder in, I always end up like having stomach issues. I have, you know, food issues that I can't eat and GDR was no exception in that. Like when I started that race, um, I just, I had stomach issues from the very get go. Like I couldn't hardly eat anything, uh, without feeling like I was going to throw up. Um, I just didn't take very much. I didn't really eat very much during the entire race. Um, but it, it is a, it is a tough course. It's, uh, they don't, they don't know about switchbacks in that area. So <laughs> that is what makes that course so hard is the climbs don't switch back. They it don't. Straight, They're straight up, up and straight down. Straight up and straight down. Yeah. And early on, you know, you, you got to the point where the, the ups were bothering you, but late at night, the downs were bothering you because they were so steep and they were, you know, putting stress on your legs from the quads and, and, and just there was a lot of leaves on the trail. Well, the, the, the trail was completely covered in leaves. So you were always worried about, you know, what you were going to step on underneath the leaves, if there was going to be some kind of tree root or little you know, something sticking out that you were going to trip on, or it was steep enough that you were just going to slip. But um, it, it was a great experience. I really did struggle on that one. And I, it's, um, you know, I struggled probably on that 15-mile mark. And just when I was doing some of the climbs, 
I just knew that like I wasn't able to push up the hills like you know I have in the past. And it was like, you know, this is probably still from Moab. I'm still feeling some of this stuff, not able to go up the hills. Um, so it was just kind of a struggle fest from the get-go. Um, but, I mean, the race was put on. It was an ex exceptionally put on race. Um, the, the volunteers were amazing. I mean, when you came into an aid station, people were taking care of you. I mean, they were asking you questions. They were getting what you need. There was, you know, whatever you needed. They, they had a lot of stuff there that they were trying to, you know, the volunteers were just great. Um, so that, that was a great aspect of that race. Um, but it, it was a hard race. I mean, there was a lot of climbing and it put a lot of punishment on my body. So, um, yeah, and it was also a modified, it was also a modified course. So and normally it's a point to point and because of COVID, um, they had to make it an out and back section because they couldn't have the bus rides. So, I mean, I didn't get to experience, like, say, the full GDR course like they typically have. I got to maybe experience half of it. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, and you might have got a harder, I don't know, course, because I know, like, the last, like, 15 miles or something is, t is normally a road section, isn't it? I, I think I think it may have been a harder course. Um, I don't know if, that if it's more vert than, like, what the normal course is, but I suspect that it probably was a hard, harder course because um, it was – I won't say early on in the race, but it was definitely halfway through the race. They were already, people were already talking about the aid stations extending their times uh, for cutoff times. And then eventually they actually extended the, it was supposed to be a 24 hour cutoff time and they extended it to a 25 and a half hour cutoff time. Mm -hmm. And they did that pretty early because I think they had already had like 40% drop rate early on. Um, and I almost became one of those 40%. <laughs> <laughs> So, you finished in 24? I finished in 23 hours and 48 minutes. So I nice. still finished under the normal cutoff time. Nice. Uh, but yeah, so they they had, a, I think, a pretty high drop rate. So I think it was probably harder than um, what they typically have. Yeah. And you got to do that Duncan Ridge Trail. Um, I think what are they, the nickname is like the Dragon Spine or something because yeah, it just goes yeah, up yeah, and down, yeah. up and down. And that's yeah. like it actually, GDR and cruel jewel uh a race that major and myself are signed up for uh in may uh actually starts at the same campground right it's like the same start line Oval uh, Park. oh yeah, yeah, and, then it, yeah. and then it takes that trail uh for the first like 25 or some miles and then i think gdr like takes a takes a split off and cruel jewel goes another way but yeah. um yeah, what's that I, I, what's that section like right there because i've heard just like like horror stories from everybody about this section i so i don't know exactly what section i heard some guy talking about it like they said oh we're on the h9 dragon or whatever they called it um yeah i think part of that other race that there's another georgia race too that they have like h9 dragon that runs over the top of that spine or something okay <laughs> or is that what it is <laughs> so there's a couple must be a couple races around yeah over it. Um, when we were in that, I didn't think that section was as bad as some of the other sections. Okay. Um, there was a, the one section when we got to, um, I don't even know what, we were, we were about 40 miles in. So I'd already went to the turnaround spot and came back and we were climbing up the hill and then we had to go down into an aid station, but it was like a mile and a half down this hill to get to this aid station. Well, it, you knew you had to come back up. And so we came back up a mile and a half and then you had to turn left to continue to go back on the, you know, the out and back section. 
and you still were climbing. So it was like a two mile over a two mile climb to get about out of it. I thought that was, and that was late in the race. So I thought that was kind of one of the worst sections, but the, the H and I, if, if it's the section that I'm thinking about, I didn't think it was that bad. I think some of the other sections before that was kind of a little steeper on some of the climbs and then mm -hmm. some of the downhill off of the, uh, uh, coming off the top of some of those mountains, they, there were some pretty steep sections in there. And of course, you're not allowed to have poles, so yeah. <laughs> you know no one could carry poles. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it was uh, that one really um, just the amount of climbing um, and, and the steepness of some of the uh, um, the, the downhills. Um, you just you weren't able to run them; you just had to kind of walk them because you were afraid to either slip or they were just so steep that they were, you know, kind of hurting your legs trying to come down more. So was it really and, rocky and then, yeah. too, or. Uh, yeah, the there was, there was, yeah, there was, there was quite a bit of rock in the trail too. I, I wouldn't say they were big rocks that you had to worry about, um, like slipping on them. Uh, there were a couple sections that you had to kind of slow down to kind of go through. Um, but for the most part, the rocks, you know, well, I take that. So I did have a rock, <laughs> early on in the race, probably about nine or 10 miles into the race. I may have been about 11 miles into the race. I hit a rock and I hit it so hard that it hit my ankle and actually bruised my ankle and cut it so that I was bleeding. And I had to like, I know, I had to stop and like get toilet paper from my um, back of my pack and stick down there so I wouldn't bleed anymore. Oh my gosh. Um, but I also, I also did it for padding as well because I kept, um, kept hitting my ankle either with my foot or another rock would hit it or a stick would hit it. It just kind of hurt because I bruised it so bad. And afterwards, I mean, you could, there was a visible bruise on my ankle from where that rock had hit. And that was pretty early on in the race. But once I put some of that like toilet paper to stop the bleeding and, and kind of padded a little bit, I was okay. Um, but other than that, I mean, uh, you just kind of slowed down when you saw the rocks and you were okay. I mean, I, I, didn't, I didn't have any problems like where I was afraid of slipping or um, I just slowed down, but I was also going pretty slow too. So, I mean, 23 hours and 48 minutes is, you know, that's, that's the back of the pack cut, you know, cut off times. So, yeah. So do you think this race was like comparable to, uh, the toughness of like, like at the end of the day, running GDR and running a hundred miler, uh, comparable or like, what do you think? Um, yeah, I, I think so. I mean, they're, they're pretty comparable. I mean, you're also, you know, there was 40 more miles into, you know, you'd have to go to a hundred mile. It also depends on the hundred mile or two. I mean, if you're yeah. talking something like Tunnel Hill or something, then, you know, that's probably not that comparable. I mean, you know, Tunnel Hill probably has like 500 feet of gain or something yeah. um, versus, <laughs> versus what, you know, um, and I say Tunnel Hill because that was just ran recently, uh, last weekend. Yeah, I think the hundred mile and the 50 mile, like trail records were just broken. Uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely like, you know, comparable to like, say running IT 100 or uh, Mohican definitely comparable to like Mohican kettle, all those, mm -hmm. you know, the, the races are definitely comparable to that. Um, even yeah. if you're only doing 66 miles, there's still a lot of climbing. Um, and the biggest thing is just, I mean, having poles would have helped so much on that course, yeah. um, both on the downhill sections and on the uphill sections. But um, I saw a lot of people grab like sticks and use them as poles, but I, I didn't do that. So. Yeah. I, I watched, I watched a YouTube video of a guy that just finished it. Uh, and he fit, he came across the finish line with two huge sticks that he <laughs> said that he carried for like 40 miles. <laughs> <laughs> I, I yeah. did see people carrying them. So 
they either had one or two. Um, so yeah, yeah. Well, that's pretty awesome. Um, so what's next for you guys? Uh, I know we're getting into like cold months, winter months. How do you guys manage running in the winter? And then do you guys uh, have any races uh, coming up, like winter, or early spring? I think I'm um, gonna do Jackson 50. I haven't okay. done a 50 miler for a long time, and if I feel um, actually, John and I are getting ready to do. <laughs> so we're extra, and there's this thing going on in our town that's run the parks, and um, you just run the parks, and eventually you get 26 miles. But me and John want to make it an ultra because what I mean, you're already at 26, right? Yeah. So we're gonna um, plan it to where it's gonna be a 50k instead of 26 um nice. we're gonna do that this weekend um this so that's weekend. kind of a race yeah it's something we actually sign up for and then nice. um i'm actually coaching a, a guy who's running he's trying to pr at jackson 50k so i'm gonna go out to support him and i may run the 50 miler nice um, then cruel jewel, so i'll see you at cruel jewel awesome yeah that's awesome i just got um well i saw they updated the website and uh, for Jackson County, the 50 miler, they're not going to do it this year because of COVID, but the 50 K is on and they just okay. got permission. Uh, I believe from the County, uh, yesterday or today, uh, they just got signed approval so that they can actually do the race, oh. but okay, well, it's going to look a little different. Um, but I have a friend, I have a friend who's doing the 50 K also. I'm like on the fence. I don't think I'm going to do it, but, um, I love that race too. I've done it like three times. Um, it's a good race. Um, yeah, I've never done it. So I guess if I do, I'm not doing the 50 miler then <laughs> <laughs> you could, can, you could keep running. <laughs> no one will stop you. Yeah. They're oh. 10, 10 mile laps. And I think for the 50 K they do just a modified first lap or something, but um yeah so that's awesome what's uh what's coming up in the spring for you john Anything? um so i'll probably uh start december i'll come up with some kind of training plan to start like the next six months or so um you know obviously i've got western states coming up in in june of next year um i've also got the um hawthorne half day which is a local 12-hour race here um i had signed up for it to run this year, but COVID canceled it. So they just moved all the entries to, to next year. So I've got that race coming up in May. It's actually the same weekend. You guys will be doing Cruel Jewel. Oh, wow. So I'm, so I'm going to use that as like the first, that's going to be the, like the last race right before Western States. Cause it's about a month out from Western States. Um, and then I don't know, I'll, I'll pick something in March, April, or um, maybe even February, maybe go someplace warm and try to, to get a hundred miler in. Um, I think I do, a lot better when I like just from running the um, the super slams over the summer and just looking at my times like after I get a couple hundred milers in for the summer that like those later hundred milers I kept getting faster and faster as I you know as I, I did more of them. <laughs> you're an anomaly John I don't know what's I, don't oh, know what's I, I, I was running my drive they just got faster when I you know I mean last year Burning River I was faster at you know faster at hallucination than I was Burning River and I was faster at IT one hundred than I was um at, you know the other two before that. Yeah. Mohegan was an anomaly because of the whole, you know the rainstorm down. and yeah. <laughs> yeah, gosh, it was horrible. <laughs> but yeah. yeah. So I I know I definitely want to try to get um 
something in that hundred mile range, probably March, April timeframe, um, and then going to Hawthorne. But I'm gonna start looking, you know, December, January, February for training. So I don't know. I'm sure I'll be hitting this thing over here some. So yeah, yeah. I need to get yeah. a treadmill. I'm. I don't know. I had such. Uh, I had so much success last year, uh, but I joined a gym in the winter, uh, and I just. I mean, with Cruel Jewel coming up in May, <clears throat> like December, January, uh, you're going to have to start training for this race. And I don't know. I think the motivation to be outside during those months is so low <laughs> for me. Right. That, um, yeah. Were you signed up last year, Ryan? Is this different? Okay. So you and I, I remember seeing some of your training runs, and we were doing a lot of the same stuff on the treadmill. Nice. We were doing yeah climbing some two like 20 percent 15 percent um over those winter months and then you know we did all that work and then it got canceled so yeah, i guess we just have to it all over again <laughs> and it was like you know i as sad as i was that it got canceled um i was you know just i was really pumped up at that point because of how much training because that was probably the most training i had done in a winter in a long time um yeah. and it was just okay. like here yep yeah and it was like that training like as long as you can kind of like keep it going like it never like it, there, there's never a i mean it's just uh, it's beneficial uh for the rest of the year and i just i felt like i you know dipped a little bit like may uh like you know when covid when everything was shutting down and we had no idea what was going on um but then was able to pick it back up a little bit and get into pretty good shape for no business so yeah, I think John and I went out for a training run in Paintown. You're probably familiar with that. It's some Bloomington. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Pretty, for us, it's pretty steep. And we both just had a really good run. We were just looking at each other like, we are in such good shape. Like, we're so excited. And then COVID hit. Mm -hmm. And we were like, okay, now we have nothing to use our training for. Yeah, yeah I think uh, during the winter months, I'd put in a lot of good training because I knew what I really put in some good December training, January, February training uh, during those winter months, which I hate running outside during the winter. I just, mm -hmm. I don't like putting on three layers of clothes, you know, I don't like putting on jack jackets yep. and sweat from the inside out type stuff. I just, I hate mm -hmm. that, but you gotta do it. Um, Cause I also don't necessarily like running on the treadmill. Um, but one thing I was doing a little bit different um, was I was um, trying to get more vert climbing. So I wasn't really doing speed work on the train, on the treadmill. I was doing more just climbing stuff, trying to, 15, 20%, like kind of what mm -hmm. you talked about, where you're not going as fast as what you typically would be, or, you know, even jacking it up to 25%, just trying to do some power hiking and stuff. But just so that I was inside, not outside. But yeah, I put a lot of work, you know, in those winter months, getting prepped and ready to go for some of the races. Like GDR was coming up, Hawthorne Half Day was, and then trying to lead right into Western States. Um, so I get to do it again this year, I guess. <laughs> Started all over again. But uh, yeah. yeah, so. Awesome. Well, I'm excited to run with you guys again, hopefully sometime soon. Uh, maybe. Maybe, um, yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah, thank you guys so much for joining me. Uh, this was fun. Uh, just All right. Well, thank you guys so much for joining me. Uh, that was such a fun conversation. Uh, really just uh, appreciate John and Majel jumping on. Uh, like I said, good friends. Uh, we've 
known each other for a couple years and uh, just really, really fun to have some friends on the show. I uh, hope you got a lot out of the episode. I know I learned a couple things and it was fun hearing some of the stories uh, from some of these races. So uh, yeah, we're going to wrap it up here. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening to this podcast. Uh, if you want to check out the video version, there's going to be a link in the description so you can go check that out. Uh, and yeah, with that said, I will talk to you guys again next week. Thanks. Bye. Bye.